Good morning. Good morning. When you hear the word authority, what comes to mind? Authority. Uh, is it maybe the port authority? <laughs> authority dog food, the government, uh, big brother, law enforcement, parents, teachers, your boss. Maybe it's that John Mellencamp song. Can anyone sing that? I fight authority, authority always wins. Anyone here? Anyone know that one? Yeah? Okay, well, how about um, uh, School of Rock? You know, gonna stick it to the men, right? I mean, what, what comes to mind when you hear the word authority? How do you feel when you hear that word? Is it generally positive? Like, how many of you, when you hear the word authority, positive feelings and thoughts come up? Okay, a few. How about negative? All right, a little bit more. Okay, some are both, right? <laughs> Guess it depends on from whom, right? Uh, the thing is, there's definitely a negative sense to uh, the word authority, especially in the West. I mean, I, I looked up, I was like, I wonder how authority is defined. And in one dictionary, uh, they define it like this, the power or right to give orders, okay, make decisions, I get that. And this last part, caught me, you know, it caught me offhand, enforce obedience. I feel like a lot of times we feel this negative sense toward authority because we think it's about enforcing obedience. But have you ever thought, though, when authority is a positive thing? I mean, other than, you know, when you're the one who has the authority, we generally think authority is a good thing. Right? It's only when it's being used on us that we tend to think otherwise. And it's not that we don't like authority. It's just we just really don't like it when authority is used on us, right? I mean, authority can be a positive thing when you use it to make a decision that brings about resolution, right? I mean, especially when it's a resolution, maybe it's mediation, and, and you can't really find an agreement, so authority is used through the mediator, through whatnot, to bring about that positive resolution, hopefully leading to peace, right? Authority is also positive when it's used to create laws that bring an end to pain and suffering. Uh, Last week, Christina and I were up in D.C. uh, with International Justice Mission, and it was amazing because every morning at 11 a.m., they pray. All the staff uh, up at the headquarters come together and they pray for about 30 minutes and they share stories, what's been going on. And, and I remember, I mean, it, it was amazing to hear International Justice Mission. I mean, they're, they're working toward freeing the 40 million, I didn't realize there are 40 million slaves around the world, right? And they're, they're using the authority that they have in, through the local governments, through the law, through other means to bring about justice. I mean, they told us this one story where this guy and his entire family was enslaved for a $30 loan. Like that they were able to set him and his entire family free for 30 US dollars, right? The right kind of authority can bring freedom. And as we continue our series in the book of Mark, and if you have your Bibles or, or your apps, let's um, open to Mark chapter 2. Uh, we see here in this passage that, I mean, the entire passage from verse 1 to 12 is about authority. And as we'll see here is that Jesus here has the right kind of authority, the, the kind of authority that doesn't enslave, but the kind of authority that brings about freedom. So let's look at Mark chapter 2, starting from verse 1. 
When he entered Capernaum again, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So when you look at these, ver- uh, these 12 verses, where do you see authority? Right? When you look at everything that happened leading up to Jesus entering Capernaum, and this is what we've been talking about in the previous weeks, uh, I mean, everything that happened, if you even just quickly look and glance through chapter one, I mean, there's no, no wonder there, you know, the entire house is crowded because probably word's gotten around as to who is this Jesus and what is this uh, person doing, right? I mean, no wonder the crowd, I mean, look at verse one and two. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported. I mean, how did they report? It's not like they had Twitter, right? It's not like there was a local news, I mean, it was reported because people were excited and they were spreading the news, right? It was reported that he was at home and so many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. I mean, Jesus didn't even have to send out invites to this house party, right? I mean, everyone came because there was something, there was something compelling about him that there's kind of maybe, I don't, I don't want to say a glitter in his eyes or, you know, a shine in his teeth, you know, those commercials. I mean, but there's just something about him, right? There's just something about him that caused people to be curious and to come. I wonder if it was maybe the authority in which he was speaking and in his ministry. I wonder if it was maybe the authority that was present in his ministry and his life that was not present in any other religious leader or teacher of his day. Now, sure, they had seen religious and political uh, leaders, right, that would exercise authority over him. I mean, you know that passage in the Beatitudes where Jesus said, hey, if someone comes and asks you to carry their pack for a mile, you take it for another mile. And, you know, there's all these stories, right? Well, it's because the Israelites were subject to the authority, the Roman authorities of their day. But for some reason, Jesus' authority felt and looked different. And it felt and looked different because his authority did not lead to oppression. His authority led to freedom. 
And that's what we need to understand about Jesus and his ministry and our relationship to him is that when we have a relationship to him and with him, there is authority that he has over us. But it's not authority that oppresses and pushes down. It's authority that actually lifts us up and brings about freedom. After all, I mean, look at Romans 8, chapter 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you look at verse 3 and 4, we see they came to him bringing a paralytic, right? So the house is crowded. Jesus is there. Jesus is speaking. Uh, They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying, right? So you look at verse 3 and 4. Imagine the faith right, the faith that the paralytic's friends must have had to bring him to Jesus, right? It wasn't like his paralytic friend was coming in an ambulance and everyone heard, oh, what's that sound? You know, cars get out of the way, let's make a path. Everyone watch out, you know, Jesus is, you know, something, something needs to happen here. No, there was no ambulance, there was no warning, there was no procession, there was no trumpets. No, the paralytic's friends, his friends brought him And there was no red carpet either, right? They tried to get him in the house and they couldn't. So they walked up onto this flat roof, right? Imagine this flat roof made of wood beams. It's probably laid with branches, packed with a thick layer of grass, mud, clay. That's the kind of roof that they walked up onto. And what do we read here? They dug through it. And they lowered the paralytic through the roof. I mean, just imagine this kind of roof, right? It's not like it's just a few bricks. As they were digging, everyone in the house was probably, they probably didn't only hear what was happening, they felt what was happening, right? I mean, imagine grass, sticks, stones, mud. It was probably all coming down. Everyone's like, what in the world is happening up there? Imagine the embarrassment that these friends had to have endured, especially when I'm sure as it was happening, it's not like it happened in an instant, someone's like, hey, someone go check the roof, what's happening? Right, and then they finally break through and everyone, you know, it's that moment they finally break through and then everyone's looking up at you. (laughs) I mean, imagine that embarrassment that they had to fight through. Imagine how many moments in and through that they were like, this is the dumbest idea. Why Jesus can do anything. He can probably break through that roof, right? Anyone have the kids' Bible app? Uh, anyone know the, the Bible app for kids? And any of you, if you have kids, do, you know, they, they animate all of these. If you remember that story, any of you know what I'm talking about here? If you animate that story, you literally can click on the characters and they redo the, the scene. And I just remember, because my kids love that app, literally you click on the guys on the roof and they're like, and then they're like, right? And then you click again and they're like, right? It's, I mean, that's literally what was happening. But think about it, right? What was their faith in? As they were doing this, what was the paralytic's friend's faith in? Was it in their ability to earn healing for their friend? Was it maybe in their authority? Someone probably asked them, hey, is this your house? Whose authority do you have to break it? No, their 
trust was in the authority of Jesus based on the ministry that they saw and heard about in Galilee. Well, then after that, you see in verse 5, seeing their faith, right, it's broken through the paralytic man, you know, he's lowered down on a mat in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, you are healed. Is that what it says there? Son, you are healed. No, it's, it's son, your sins are forgiven. I mean, imagine, the, the, you know, the friends, they're like, Jesus, don't you see this guy is a paralytic? He needs to be healed. He doesn't need his sins taken care of. I mean, clearly the guy needs healing. I mean, didn't Jesus see the desperation in his friends? I mean, didn't Jesus see the desperation in this man that was, that was as paralyzed and that was lowered, you know, lowered right in front of him? That his friends had to endure all the embarrassment and the trouble to carry this guy? I mean, just, I mean, think about it. If the house was crowded, do you think the path to get to the house was open? It was probably packed as well. Right? Everyone trying to get in. Imagine them having to go, you know, it's like trying to get through TSA because you're late for a flight. And you're like trying to, can, excuse me, excuse me, can I go in front of me? Can I, and everyone's like, what are you doing? Imagine that. And then they finally bring him to Jesus. Get, you know, the friends get the guy in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus started here because he knew the priority of things. And as much as we might approach Jesus thinking that we know what is best and what we know needs to happen, and Lord, if you only answer my prayer in the order and in the way in which I am praying, you know, then everything's going to be okay. No, Jesus, instead of answering their initial apparent need, he actually sees the true priority of things. I mean, even if he did heal the paralytic, which he did actually do later on, the fact is the paralytic would have still died one day, right? I mean, I mean even if Jesus helps you get that parking spot that you pray for, right, you'll eventually pull out and leave and need another parking spot, right? And even if he answers your prayer to get you that job, that job that you, or that promotion that you've been looking for, waiting for, trying to earn your way up to, eventually you'll probably leave or get fired, right? You're not going to be in that position forever. And even if you stop fighting with your coworkers and it's causing so much stress in your life and anxiety because of the, the fight and the tension at work, I mean, eventually someone's going to leave. And even if finances are tight right now and you are praying and trusting God for your daily bread and he, and he helps you with an extra paycheck, I mean, you would probably, even after getting that, have more expenses and needs as well. I mean, Jesus knows our every need. And while he definitely addresses the paralytic's apparent need for physical healing, Jesus oftentimes has different priorities than we do. Why? It's because Jesus sees the whole picture. He sees clearly while we see dimly. As a result, Jesus responds to the paralytic in this way because he wanted to get straight 
to the point, right? It's like he said, yes, I and everyone around me sees that you need physical healing, right? It's, it's, like, he, he, it's like he said that, right? I, I get that. I see it. He didn't have to verbally say it. Everyone sees that this guy needs physical healing. But friend, what you need to understand is more important than your temporary physical healing is that you need eternal healing. And that's why he dresses that first. Sin was this paralytic's greatest problem. The fact that he couldn't walk was not the paralytic's greatest problem. Just because you are sick or you have an illness doesn't mean that you cannot enjoy a full and abundant life in Christ. Right, when I was on missions in Thailand and I was working in this orphanage, right, these little kids, they didn't have an American girl doll to play with. Right, they didn't have a whole set of Pokemon cards, right? They didn't have Transformers and this. I mean, they didn't have the latest, you know, Xbox 360 plus virtual, I don't know, you know, whatever. They just keep on adding things to it, right? I mean, they didn't have any of that. They didn't even have the classic PS1, you know, or Atari game system to get hooked up. They didn't have any of that. I remember sitting with them and all they had was a bouncy ball. Oh, it wasn't even a bouncy ball. It was rocks, and they had sticks, rocks, and literally they were playing with rocks and sticks, and I was sitting down with them, and they had like four or five sticks, and they would throw the rock up in the, in the air and get as many sticks as they can and then catch the rock with their hand. And they'd throw it up, and then they would do double sticks, and, and they would do all of these tricks. And you know how much joy was in that place? We don't need stuff to be happy. We don't need healing to experience joy. Jesus saw here and saw straight through and had to help everyone here understand, especially as Jesus had been healing others and people were really being obsessed with the, 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 the signs and the wonders of his ministry. He was like, hey, hey guys, yes, I will heal him, I will, but sin is his and yours and my greatest problem. Even without an ability to walk, you know, his friends, because even without an ability to walk, his friends could still help him get from point A to point B, right? I mean, even if Jesus didn't heal him, his friends could still help him and live, live a life. But without the forgiveness of sins, there's no way that he would be able to get from point A to point B eternally, right? From life here to life eternal. So Jesus, in his great mercy and through his great authority, helped this man first and foremost with the issue that really plagued him, right, his eternal destiny. Well, in verse 6 and 7, we see, but some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, right? I mean, see that, questioning in their hearts. Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? I mean, it's interesting to see how the religious leaders respond to what just happened. Right? It's interesting because Jesus, in saying what he said, in ministering to this man in the way that he did, Jesus was challenging the religious leader's authority. He was challenging their authority. Sure, they said that only God can forgive sins, right? I mean, who can forgive sins but God alone? Right, you see that. And they're like, no, 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 it's not. You're not challenging my authority. You're challenging God's authority is what they were trying to communicate through their, oh, how could he do this? 
right? That's what they were trying to communicate. But in reality, right, in reality, it was actually Jesus challenging their authority because for the people, God forgave their sins through the religious leaders, right? That's, it was, so it was their authority that Jesus was challenging. So by forgiving this man's sin, he's usurping the religious leader's authority. He is challenging the authority of the day. And by forgiving this man's sins, he is essentially proclaiming and declaring the fact that he is God. Because, like the Pharisees here say, religious leaders here say, God is the only one who can forgive sins. But what brings this entire exchange to the next level is that Jesus doubly proves that he is God here. I mean, look at what it says here in verse 6. Because in verse 6, it says, the scribes were questioning in their hearts. Right? So they didn't verbally say this. And then in verse 8, right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking this within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Right? This is what brings us to the next level in that Jesus is not only proving that he is God through the ability to forgive sins, but he is actually omniscient. He can see, he can know what is going on here even without the religious leader saying anything. Right? He is hearing what they said even though they didn't verbally say it. We look at verse 8 to 12, right, the end of this exchange where, you know, Jesus perceived in his spirit what they were thinking. And, you know, he said, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, uh, you know, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, right? So after that exchange with the religious leaders, he turns to the paralytic and he says, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And immediately he got up, took the mat went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astonished, gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus here, as we see, not only has the authority to forgive sins, but he has the authority to heal. Jesus, in his great mercy and in his great grace, didn't have to heal the man's apparent needs, but he did. Why? Because of his grace, because of his love, and because, get this, he wanted, because of what he was going to do through that healing. Here's, here's the funny thing, right? I mean, a lot of times we pray for, um, you know, if you have, I mean, Wade said he had, you know, back, you know, that, that his back was hurting last week. And, and I've had back issues here and there and had to go to chiropractic work. And I mean... Uh, for those of you who have, who have back issues, you know how debilitating back issues can be. Right? It's almost to the point where, I mean, and if you've never had back issues, you're like, well, what's the deal? Just suck it up, right? You know, suck it up, cupcake, right? I mean, seriously, it's just your back. No, but seriously, there's something about back issues where, like, it's just, when you have back issues, it, it's like, you, it's hard to even think straight. Like, you don't even want to eat. I mean, you can't walk around. But it's just like you have no, you can't even laugh because when you laugh, it hurts, right? It's just there's something debilitating about that. And a lot of times we have these apparent needs or, you know, it's like, you know, maybe, maybe you know, rain is coming and, and water is getting into your house. And you're like, oh, my goodness, I don't have money to repair this. And, you know, you have these apparent needs that come up. And, and, and we're always like, God, I pray that you would 
take care of this, I pray. And if you don't take care of it, God, you, you, know, you kind of feel like, oh, does God really love me? Does God really, if God is a good father, shouldn't he take care of his children, right? Don't you ever think this way? And, and, you, and you feel like, okay, God is not taking care of my apparent needs, so maybe God doesn't really love me, or maybe he's forgotten about me, or maybe I've done something wrong. And, and I feel like sometimes our brains go down that road. The interesting thing that we see here and look at what it says here in verse 12. Immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God. Okay, do you see what happened there? A lot of times we pray and ask God to heal us or to provide or for this, for that, for our sake. For our good. For the end result of us having a better life. When in reality... God wants to heal you. God wants to restore you. God wants to provide for you, but it's not for your sake. It's always to bring glory back to him. And when we believe that ultimately we are coming before God because we want to be blessed, because we want to be healed of such and such, or because we want to experience freedom here and it's for our own sake, you know, God is saying, well, Yes, I know that you would be happier with this, but the point of life is not so that you would be happier. The point is that others would actually come to know me. It's an interesting shift in perspective. And I wonder if this paralytic, God knowing what was in the guy's heart, I wonder if this would have even happened. You know, I'm just wondering here. I wonder if this would have even happened if the paralytic got healed, kept it to himself, and the glory didn't ultimately go back to God. It's interesting to think about, isn't it? I love how a few commentators put this passage, this, this, this last section right here. A few commentators put it like this. As a proof of his power to forgive sins, you know, something we cannot see, Jesus healed the paralytic, something everyone could see. Right, I love that. As a proof of his power to forgive sins, right, because couldn't anyone just say, hey, I forgive your sins? Right, but you see what's happening here in, in Jesus' ministry. Jesus is pointing people to the Father. And in Jesus' ministry here to say, hey, you cannot see that I have just forgiven his sins, I mean, you will see a few years later what has happened through all this, but you cannot see that I have forgiven his sins, but so that you know that I am the Son of God, I am going to heal his physical illnesses so that you can see that what I say is true. Right? Do, you, do you see Jesus' authority throughout this entire passage? That sometimes we think the paralytic is the focus of this story, right? How many of you read this and you often see yourself as the paralytic, right? Or you might see yourself as the religious leader or you might see yourself as the friends or maybe as the crowd. That's the interesting thing about this passage is that a lot of times when we read the scriptures, we will identify with one character more than the other. And a lot of times we see, you know, ourselves in this. But in reality, this passage is not about the paralytic. This passage is about Jesus. And as we live our lives, we sometimes think that our lives are actually all about our happiness 
and our joy. And sometimes we sing songs, right? Not today, right? But sometimes we sing songs that make it sound. And this is, yes, sometimes worship songs, but especially on the radio, right? Especially just look at the top songs that are on repeat. What what are those songs telling you? That you are number one, that your happiness is number one, that your Right? It's all about you. But what we see in this passage is that this passage is not actually about the paralytic. The passage is about Jesus showing everyone that he is the Son of God. And I wonder what would happen in our lives if we woke up daily not thinking that our work and our school, you know, that our school was supposed to get us into a good college so that we could live a good, you know, get a good job and get married, get a good, have a good life. And, 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 or, or that, hey, you know, that you think that your job is supposed to help you then do this. I wonder what would happen if instead of seeing our entire life and our daily rhythm through the lens of how is this going to benefit me and give me a better life and all of this. I wonder what would happen if we shifted the perspective and said, Lord, here I am do what you want. Because Jesus knows the real need. Hey, especially for those of you who love to plan. I mean, I'm there. I used to have a plan until I was like post 65. No, literally, like not just until retirement, but post retirement, Christina and I, we had this massive plan. Like I love to control. I love to strategize. I love to plan. I do. I sincerely love every single aspect of that because I don't like waiting. Right? I don't like waiting. I don't like the unknown. I don't like any of that. Yet a few years back, after, even though my perfect plan was outlined and laid out, you know, as God continued to say, nope, 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 and started to change, and nothing that I'd planned was ever coming true, I was like, I wonder what God's trying to say. <laughs> you know, I put it aside. I said, Lord, here we are. And every single day, every single moment is far greater than I could have ever imagined or planned out or thought about. Why? Because my plan was all about me and God, can you bless me? (laughs) Rather than now, it's Lord, here I am. I want to bless you. Imagine if every trial, every brokenness, every disease, every hurt was not actually about you, but it was actually about what God was wanting to do through you for his glory and so that others would come to know him. Imagine if we saw everything through that. You know, I wonder if we saw things through that. I wonder if we did that. I wonder if it would then be easier to say, Lord, you give and you take away, but blessed be your name. Versus us holding on to our lives and then trying to sing that song. Have any of you tried to sing that song when you've been holding on to everything? You can't sing it, can you? It's like, Lord, you give and take away. And that's all you sing. You don't want to say, blessed be your name, right? You know, or you say, Lord, you give. <clears throat> you know, you don't say take away. Lord, please give, please give. When we look at this passage here, we see 
Jesus' authority all throughout. And what's interesting is that there are four different responses to his authority. And these four different responses reflect how we should or can respond to the passage today. So let's start with the friends. Are you one of the friends here in this passage? The friends trust that Jesus alone is the answer to their paralytic friend. And and the friends trust and understand that there's no obstacle that stands between them and putting their friend in close proximity to Jesus, right? The friends understand that no crowd is too big, you know, the weight of the paralytic, no height is too tall, no roof is too thick. They they understand that, you know, that that even their own self-righteous ability to not be able to heal, I mean, nothing could stop them from bringing their friend to Jesus. Why? Because they trusted Jesus, his authority alone, and completely. So my question to you is, are you, if you are one of the friends, are you going to respond to Jesus today like the friends did? In other words, do you have a lost family member, spouse, friend, neighbor, who has turned their back on God, And it's running and it's been running away for so long that you have even wanted to give up. Are you willing to be one of the friends who is going to do whatever it takes to pray for and place that lost friend at the feet of Jesus? So that, not only so that their present circumstance can be healed, but so that their sins would be healed so that they would have eternal life in Christ. Maybe you're a friend, maybe, maybe you're a paralytic, and you know your apparent need. You're depraved, you're destitute, you're out of options, you cannot save yourself. You've tried, you've tried to get yourself out of that, that debilitating temptation cycle of, of guilt and temptation, and then of sinning, of falling, and then asking for forgiveness, and then, you know, that cycle of falling to temptation over and over again, and, and you're out of options. You don't know how to save yourself. And then you humbly allow your community to carry you. You humbly have come to this place, even in your brokenness. And in coming here, you've decided to trust Jesus by placing your life, your reputation, your everything in the hands of God because you know that he is the only one that can bring about freedom. Is is that you? Does that describe you? Do you trust like the paralytic that Jesus alone can save you? Do you believe that his forgiveness and his his healing applies to you as well despite everything that you've done? Are you willing today to humbly cry out to him? Do you trust that the friends that brought you here, that have been praying for you, that are trying to be honest with you, do you trust that they understand and know and deeply understand and have experienced the grace of God that you also want to experience, that that they know the healer that you desperately want to know? What would it look like if, as the paralytic, you surrendered your life to Jesus right in front of everyone else, right? In front of everyone else and you surrendered your all, your pride, your everything, you gave it to him. Imagine the healing and the salvation that you would experience. Imagine the freedom that would result from 
the authority of Christ. Next, we have the response of the Pharisees, right? I mean, these Pharisees, these prideful leaders saw that their glory and their authority was being taken from them directly in front of their eyes, right? And they want to dismiss Jesus. They were skeptical of all that they saw and all that they experienced. They've been trying to argue themselves out of surrender and decision. Yeah, maybe they're here. I mean, think about it. The religious leaders were in the front row. They were at church every single week. Maybe not receiving like this, but maybe judging like this. I'm not saying that if you're like this, you're judging right now. So (laughs) all of a sudden everyone's like, (laughs) but you know what I'm talking about, right? You hold to your pride, you hold to your, 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 your knowledge, everything that you know, your reputation, you're holding on to your titles, you're unwilling to submit your everything to the Lord, even though you see the act of God. And every single week, I love our church, even though every single week you see lives being changed, you're just gritting your teeth. Are you going to respond to Jesus like the, the, the religious leaders did? Are you going to respond to Jesus and ignore the act of God that's going on in front of your eyes? Or are you going to go like this? Lastly, we have the response of the crowd. I mean, the crowd's response was huge, wasn't it? They were amazed. They gathered to see what Jesus did next. They loved the show. (laughs) And I feel like in the South... There are a lot of churches, you can go from church to church for the best show. And sometimes we are so enamored by the show that we miss what the show is for. (laughs) When Jesus presented the cost of discipleship and saying, hey, this is not, the point is surrendering your life to the authority of Jesus. The point is not, you know, coming and being entertained and retaining the authority of your own life. The point is actually surrendering that authority to Jesus. And when the crowds understood that, when the crowds saw that, some responded positively and surrendered their life to Jesus and some just went their own way. 